0: Chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden, or excuse me, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. So now we've you know, we talked about, and some of this we've talked about already, but we have another definite statement here that John is the author of Revelation, right? Verse 9, I, John. Doesn't get too much clearer than that, does it? I, John, who am also your brother. I kind of liked that part. I, John, who am also your brother. Think about this. John, one of the the last living apostles, walked with Jesus for three and a half years, heard every preaching message, uh, was around him, saw these miracles performed by Christ, was at the crucifixion. At the Last Supper was the one who was leaning on Jesus's on his side, leaning against Jesus. John, whom Jesus uh, described as the apostle whom he loved, right? And he says, I, John, last living apostle of Christ, writer of Four other New Testament books. He didn't describe himself like this. He said, "Who am also your brother?" He set himself equal with every single one of us that serves alongside him. Isn't that kind of neat? I, you know, I've been working at you know in policing for so many years. Boy, people loved using those titles. You know, Ken probably knows this too. Working at the fire department, when you work in those paramilitary kind of groups, and they use these titles, I'm sergeant so and so, captain so and so. You know, they, they, it's an ego thing. That's what it is. But here, he John just says, "Who am also your brother?" I love that. And companion in tribulation. He's saying, you know what? He's not talking about the tribulation that's to come. He's saying, we're we're talking about we're in tribulation now. We're being persecuted now. Remember, John, he describes being on Patmos, uh, exiled on Patmos, and he was exiled there from about 86 to 96 AD. Patmos, we talked about Patmos a little bit, but this was a rugged volcanic island. Actually about, I think, some 40-some miles, uh, it would be west of the east coast of Asia Minor uh, from one of the ports that was near Ephesus, I think, 40-some miles into the sea. Uh, This was a rugged place. Uh, If you were were there for criminal uh, reasons, you were on uh, hard duty. This was a volcanic, rocky island. Chances are, during the week or six days a week or whatever, he was on a, a gang just chipping away at rocks all day long for the Romans. I mean, he was in tribulation. He had got there after being burned in oil. I just think, you know, we got to keep that in mind. He's, I'm sure he's still healing from that. I mean, God imagine that would take just a long time to heal from. He is in tribulation, right? He is being persecuted. Why? Just because he said, you know, I believe in Jesus. And I believe he's alive. And I believe that salvation comes through him and him alone. And that's not, Romans weren't going to have that. We'll talk about that a little bit here in a second. But he's in tribulation. Along with Many others in the Roman um, span of control were Christians as well. Now, of course, he was placed there by what many, who many believe is the Roman emperor Domitian. Interestingly enough, during the studies I I found this, it says, Domitian was the brother of Titus. Titus was the one who destroyed the city of Jerusalem. So... God allowed one pagan to destroy his early city but would use his brother to allow the heavenly new Jerusalem to first be described. So Titus destroys Jerusalem but it's Domitian who put Paul on Patmos for that moment when Jesus was going to give to John the revelation. I mean, just fascinating. Fascinating stuff. So John speaks of being in tribulation and others in the Christians. Why would Rome uh, persecute Christians? And here's a few of the reasons. I I thought these were interesting. They would persecute for political reasons. Uh, Christians took no part in the worship of the many, many gods that Romans had. I mean, there was a god for everything. I was going to look up before I came how many gods... Uh, Roman uh, society worship during that time, and I just forgot to do that, but I want to say it was in the hundreds. Uh, in fact, Christians were actually regarded as atheists. Do you ever think you'd be described as an atheist? Now, I thought this was interesting. They were described as atheists <coughs> because they're worshiping a God that no one can see where all the Roman gods was the god of the sun, or the god of the water, land, rivers. It's all gods that they, you know, these are things, physical things that people could see. So they worshipped the sun and they worshipped the sea. So for a Christian to worship an invisible god, they were actually considered atheists, which I, I thought that was kind of interesting. They were also uh, persecuted for economic reasons. So in the Roman culture, to worship these gods, you had to provide sacrifices and buy idols to, to uh, take part in those worships. So, of course, there was marketplaces for this. And if, as a Christian, we don't believe in these idols, we're not to worship idols, so we don't have idols in our possessions, we're not going to be contributing to that economic system. So because of that, you know, if you're not contributing to the economic system, then you know, you're unworthy to be able to get the benefits of the the culture that Rome provided. How about for moral purposes? This was also interesting. I'd never thought of this. Christians were often looked at upon as cannibals by Roman system. Why is that? Well, for did they not secretly, quote, eat the flesh and drink the blood of their religious founder? That's an interesting uh, twist on it. (laughs) By no means do we believe that, you know, like the Roman Catholics, that there is a transformation to actual flesh and actual blood and that it's symbolic, of course, right, but others Confused by it or misinterpreting it, would see that could see that that way. So we got political reasons, economic reasons, moral reasons, and then this one, just for scapegoat reasons. You know, if I'm if I'm the Roman emperor and I'm having trouble in an area, and I need to be able to I need to be able to point a finger at who's causing it because if I can't say who's causing the problem. Then it makes it look like I'm not in control, right? So if they had a problem that they couldn't identify, guess what? They just pointed at the Christians and said, "Well, it must be their fault so anything that whether they were involved in it or not, in most cases weren't uh the Romans would blame the Christians for it, so you could have be accused of anything at any time burning yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. So, I mean, and I don't know that we're not kind of getting into that area in society a little bit now. We are. Yeah, uh, when I was uh, working on my notes, I kind of dwelled there a little bit. You know, we get blamed for stuff now that we... <laughs> we just, it's like, no, that's not Blame what... Yeah, I mean, we really do. Um, When it's, there's nothing, there's no foundation to it. But. Well, because we don't believe like the world, then we just like the people. We're the easy targets. We're the easy targets. And we're not the ones, you know, like um, other religious extremists, that if uh, you blame them improperly, they'll come at you, right? They'll come at you. Or we're kind of, you know, we we love everybody. I'm not going to attack you on Facebook, even if you attack me. I'm, I'm probably not going to. Right? Um, so it's easy to attack the guy that won't necessarily fight back. That I'm going to pray for them, right? Well, they laugh at that. They would laugh at that. You know, they're trying to get a reaction out of you and you to... to To fight over something. So those are just a few of the reasons. Why uh, the culture of Rome. Was um, at this time. uh, Persecuting all the Christians. And why somebody like John would end up on Patmos. I'm sure he was there with many many other Christians. Many other Christians. And why Christ saw it as such a important thing that he's wants to start out this book by issuing seven letters to these seven churches before he gets into the actual vision of the end times and what to expect he, i mean i need to point out some things to to these foundational churches that they felt like um as bad as our time is right now, I don't believe it's as bad as this. It's not. It's not. I mean, we're not having to to uh, come secretly here every Sunday um, or meet secretly in in houses around Ponca City or anything like that. So you know. I hear people say sometimes it's as bad now as it ever was, well, do some story, do some uh, studying on that historically and um, whether it's during this time or whether it was reformation ages in, in England, study some of that and I think you'll see that we actually still have it pretty good. <laughs> I haven't seen no, yeah, no you're right, you're absolutely right, there's other countries that are still persecuting Christians, absolutely right, that's an excellent point, yeah. Um, verse 10 verse 10 I really liked this verse John says I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet so he wrote or he got his first revelation from Christ on a Sunday on the Lord's day right and it says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day now, if you were to go to Patmos even today, uh, there's a, you can go to Patmos and you can get a tour. And the tour will take you to a volcanic cave that tradition says that is where John was, was when he was inspired and wrote Revelation. Okay? Kind of interesting, kind of neat. Uh, don't know if that's the actual place or not. The island itself isn't very large. And mostly uninhabitable in areas, so it could be. But John said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and received this vision. How many of you are here today ready to receive the Spirit? Or in the Spirit, ready to receive something from God? God. It really hit me on this verse when I was studying it. How many times have have I showed up on a Sunday morning and I got all these other things going on—prep, uh, I'm thinking about my Sunday school lesson, or I'm, or we just are struggling with stuff at home, or you know, work's driving me crazy, and I got this and that. Got three phone calls yesterday. I mean, how many times have have you showed up on the Lord's day and you're just preoccupied mm-hmm. and you're not in the spirit? What did you miss that day? What could you have missed? Look what John, in, while he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, he received a direct vision and uh, um, from Jesus. Wow. I mean, uh, well, yeah, is that kind of, I mean, that's huge. That's huge, as they say, yeah. I mean you wouldn't want to be in a mood and miss that, would you? Would you? I mean um so it's a challenge to us. I think it's a challenge to each one of us. Be ready, be in the spirit and ready to receive whatever the Lord has for you when you're in his house, right? Or even throughout the week. Let's just take the Sunday thing out of it. Anytime. Uh, we meet on thursdays for fbi and you got to be kind of in the spirit ready to receive something from that class right it can be easy to go three more hours here we go right but man there's i mean there's some deep theological and profound points being made and if you're in the spirit to be able to take something from that where christ speaks to you through the spirit personally man you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss that. Or uh, if we're not in the spirit, you know, and Pastor's going to here in a little bit open up uh, and continue his series in 2 Corinthians. I mean, you gonna if you're not in the right mood or, or not open to to receiving something for that, I mean, it's just to me it's tragic. Tragic. So it's a challenge for us, I think. In John's case, he was in the spirit. And he heard um, a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, we're going to see this trumpet description a lot through Revelation. When describing uh, God's voice and Jesus' voice, it's described as a trumpet. Uh, I mean, an attention getter, you know, the kind of deal where if you stood right there and you blew a trumpet, we all are going to know it, aren't we? And that voice to John saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then he goes down and he lists each one of these churches. Mm -hmm. What thou seest, write in a book. Write this down. And then send it to these folks. And then John continues in verse 12 he said and I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the soul of him, seven candlesticks one like unto the son of man now that son of man phrase is important there. Uh, anytime you look back in Scripture and you see Christ in this transformed state, many times you'll see it with this type of description as of the Son of Man. Think back to the uh, furnace with Nebuchadnezzar and the Hebrew, three Hebrew children, right? What did Nebuchadnezzar say at one point when he looked in that furnace? I see someone as like unto a Son of Man. It's the same. He was in his transformed state at that point. So this Son of Man phrase—that's very, uh, very specific. Clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt with about the ga- uh, perhaps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. I mean, you getting a picture here? This was God he was looking at. And his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And what was John's reaction to this? Verse seventeen. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I mean, it was the the sight in and of itself, and the sound in and of itself. Would a pastor kind of uh, mentioned this last Sunday? He was talking about Satan and his look. He's an angel. If you saw Satan, you would think beautiful, except for, like he said, the feeling you might get in his presence. But you're seeing the transformed state of God right here. And he fell on his face, just as of as just lost control. He just had to surrender himself to that. I, uh, I think anybody in that present will have the same reaction kind of made me think. When I was uh, 19 years old, I signed up for the Air Force. And I'd worked a, like a triple shift at Walmart. The night This is a true story. Worked like a triple shift at Walmart. We were going to some town up in Kansas, picking up a bunch of shelves and coming back. We'd just opened the Supercenter. And, uh, I mean, I, I think seriously, I worked like 20 hours. I went home, and I was sitting on my bed eating my Taco Tico that I did every night after work. And on came a commercial for the Air Force. And I'm sitting there thinking, huh, wouldn't that be easier than the seven 20-hour shifts I'm doing at Walmart? I always kind of wanted to do that. So the next morning after I woke up, I called my dad and I said, hey, what are you doing today? He goes, I don't know, hanging around the house, I guess. I said, why don't you take me to Enid? That was the closest Air Force recruiting station. He goes, what are we going to Enid for? I said, I think I want to sign up for the Air Force. He drove me to Enid and I signed up for the Air Force. And I remember talking to some of my friends because uh, I was scheduled to leave a month or two later for basic, you know. And uh, some of my friends and, oh, those guys, you know. I, I wouldn't talk, allow anybody to talk to me like that. I'd show up one of there, they ain't going to talk to me like I'm some nobody. I wouldn't put up with that out of those drill instructors. And I'm just thinking, really? Well, you talk a big game. And when I got there, I have said that my knees have shaken two times in my life. Visibly shaken to the point you could see them. Once, basic training. Because I got up from the table with food in my mouth. That was what the deal was. And man, that guy had me pinned up against a wall. And he had that hat right there. My knees were just shaking. I've never been so scared in my life. Second time is wedding day with Cindy. (laughs) story. You could watch the VCR tape now and see my legs shake. But there's some demeanors and some attitudes that you just don't bow back up to and that you're subjective to, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that day, it was those, those drill instructors in San Antonio. They put the they literally it's put fear the in fear you. in you. Matter of fact, I could still remember Grandma Gray. She was our older, uh, older lady drill sergeant. And every night you had to say, Good night, Grandma Gray. <laughs> Just the funny things, you know. John experienced that. There's nobody who'd be like, Well, if I was there, he wouldn't intimidate me. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, <buddy. laughs> okay. No, that's God. That's God. You're in the presence of God. God says every knee eventually will bow, right? If you're in the presence of God, you're you're forced to just give reverence to that. Um, And everybody will. Either out of honor to Him or out of fear. And, you know, we don't want I want to do it because I honor Him, right? The best avenue to choose. <laughs> What's that? Well, yeah, well, absolutely. Lord's side. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we should fear the Lord. Yeah, God, the Bible says that. But we do it as we would fear, you know, and love our, you know, a parent or something. When they saw him, he fell at his feet, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, "What." fear not what was the first thing he said to the disciples upon entering the upper room after being raised fear not. fear not for yeah he says fear not i am the first and the last i am he that liveth and was dead and behold i am alive forevermore amen and have the keys of hell and of death write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And then he gives a little, oh, by the way, remember those seven stars and those seven candlesticks? Here's what they mean. Mystery of the seven stars in which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven, excuse me one second, I need to find my notes. There we go. Still getting used to this iPad. I like having paper sometimes, but I'm trying something different. Uh, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou, uh, which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, while looking up different authors on this, I found this statement written by J. Vernon McGee. Angels can be either human or divine. The word here is messenger. It could refer to a member of the angelic host of heaven. It could refer to a ruler or teacher of the congregation. Remember, angel of the seven churches. So there was some some specific reference to this angel in this church could be a ruler or a teacher of the congregation but personally uh, mcgee says i think it refers to the local pastors it is good to hear a pastor being called an angel because sometimes we are called other things that's mcgee for you right but I, i you know um you see these these visions and it shows the importance that christ had to these churches you know, he's saying, I have them in the palm of my hand, but I have a message for you to give to each one of them. And the fun part is, is we're going to spend at least the next seven weeks, because there's seven churches, going over each one of those those letters. Uh, we'll see if we can do them each in a week. I don't know. But we'll uh, spend some time going through them. So, uh, Ken, you want to release us, and we'll go down to services. studying today and learning more and more about you. Lord, I